Um, just want to welcome you if you're visiting. Uh, glad you're here. We'd love to hopefully create a space where you can hear uh, just the unapologetic truth of God's word. We love to just basically take books of the Bible and, and walk through them because we want you to see the full counsel of God. We don't want you to just, just see uh, verses in their isolation, but, but see what God has said to us as he uh, himself gave us uh, the Bible. And he didn't just give us for our uh, speculation, but divine revelation so we could know who he is uh, more in his nature and character and primarily what he's done through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, that, that's the point of the scriptures. If you're new to Christianity, new to the Bible, new to gathering with, uh, I don't know, people of faith, uh, that's really what we believe here uh, single-handedly, that, that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's the central aspect to uh, the story of the Bible. So um, we're going to show you and hopefully lead our hearts to always where Jesus can be more fully glorified and be the, really the center of our life. That's why we just sang that song. That's where we want to place our affections and our thoughts and our dreams and our, and our sights. And so uh, we're in James. James is a book. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the back. If you have one, go to James 3. Uh, we've been walking through James. James is going to take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. Uh, we're going to end right before Easter. And um, it's, it's a brutal book. It's an honest book. James is a great pastor. He was the younger brother of Jesus. We covered that in the first sermon. If you're interested in getting caught up on uh, just more of him as an author, you can read that there. But James basically cares deeply for this community of faith, cares for these uh, Jewish Christians who were placing their faith in the risen Messiah, Jesus Christ, and uh, were being persecuted, were being chased, they were dispersed, and so he's writing to these churches uh, basically as to how to walk and live in life together, how to endure persecution, and how to actually live in a life that's healthy in the community of faith. And so um, he says a lot of things that seem like a to-do list, they seem like uh, just brutal commands, but um, I, keep, I keep reminding us that, that he's constantly calling us into something better. And so every time a good dad, good father uh, gives a warning, it's an invitation. And that's what James is doing. He wants you to be led into fullness of life and deeper joy by seeing, right, the ways that Jesus Christ is better and the ways that Jesus Christ reorients our lives to live according to how he's designed and wired us. And so um, when he gets into a text like this morning, which has to do with our mouths, look, number one, all of us are in trouble, okay? So everyone in here is in good company this morning. But number two, uh, you got to see that it's not just about taming your tongue or watching your mouth. It's about really getting a new heart. And you're going to see the Bible consistently say that sin is not so much behavior, but of but really an effective behavior that's from a state of the heart, okay? And so uh, you just try to change action will never do anything for you, okay? You can find uh, therapists, you can find other people that will write great books for you where uh, you can leave and you can manage yourself for a certain length of time, but if you don't have a new heart, that's the great hope of the gospel. We're not just little, you know, kind of tweak transformations or creations, we're brand new creations, right? We don't look for just training in ourselves, but transformation of our whole selves, and that's what Jesus Christ does for us in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so um, I want you to see that James is going to get us there, but he has to do some homework to really convict you and lay your heart out honestly before you. So everything he does, I always say be careful at just running to the to-do list, okay? Uh, Let Jesus minister to you. We want to see more of his gracious work, and then let that produce something that you cannot produce on your own that will hold you fast the end of your days, all right, and so that's what James is going to uh, show us here, that sin is not a behavior as much as a state of your heart that leads to behavior. Okay, he's going to end with that. So we got some homework to do to get there. So uh, James chapter 3, verse 1, uh, he kicks off with my least favorite text in the Bible. Let's read it uh, together. Not, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, uh, for you know that, you, uh, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
Um, so being a preacher, being a teacher, uh, one of the most, or many convicting places of the scriptures, but, but this is one of the most. Um, and listen, I, I love that I get to teach the Bible. I love that you guys let me teach the Bible to you. Um, it's, a, it's a great joy. It's one of my greatest joys. It's also one of my greatest burdens um, because of what's at stake. Now, he's going to be rolling out basically uh, the dangerousness of words, uh, the value of words, how the things that you say have a ripple effect. They, they reverberate, right? Because it's not just like a saying something. It's, it's a soul saying something to another soul made in the image and likeness of God to where we're going to say things. We're going to communicate. We live in an age, right, where, I mean, Facebooking, Instagramming, texting, we are in a communication age, right? We just, we do, we're obsessed with it in one sense. It's how God's designed us to be, right? We should be communicating. Uh, but in another sense, it's terribly dangerous if not controlled or not stewarded the right way. Um, just like it can have great benefits, it can have terrible devastation. Uh, and, and he's showing us, number one, if you're a teacher or preacher, um, these aren't one-on-one conversations. You're preaching to sometimes crowds, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands. So the weight of what you say is going to be a lot more serious, the effect of what you say because you can lead people entire directions with your words, right? If you're persuasive, if you're manipulative, if you're whatever you are, you can, you can lead individuals and you can lead masses with the weight of what you say. It's all rhetoric. It's all with how we do things. If you look at just history, you'll see people lead mass, 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 evil, sick, wicked movements through their mouths, through what they say, through how they move people. People empower the ways that they govern, right? We can see it in the way that the things that they say, the ways that their words are used. And here he's showing this kind of uh, interesting analogy. First was saying, hey, before I just get started telling you how to watch your mouth, uh, listen, I gotta watch mine the most. I'm gonna be judged with greater strictness. I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor. And listen, this, this, is, this couldn't be more real. I mean, last Sunday, I was actually having sweats in my office. Uh, two Sundays ago before coming out to preach because I, I literally could, was feeling the Holy Spirit saying, no, I, I want you to go farther. I want you to go here. And I, there are some signs where I'm going, man, God, pick somebody else for that text, right? I mean, I don't want to be the one to deliver this, right? I mean, and I'm always sitting reading my Bible going, I just, I want to say what's true, right? I don't want to veer off the path. I don't want to say something in error. I know I can only control myself to a certain degree, but I was just literally in prayer asking God as I was sweating, going, Lord, help me to be honest to you. Help me to, to, to give something that will breathe life and not death. Help me to tear down appropriately and build up appropriately because if you only tear down as a pastor, you'll leave everybody homeless, right? If you only build up, you'll suffocate everybody. So I want to do both those things, help the whole counsel of God's word to fall on ears that might be deaf, might be open, eyes that might be blind, might be seeing. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a weight. That's a challenge, right? So, so I, I sense this. But in, in another sense, it's anytime you open your mouth, you're a teacher, I mean, you're a blogger, you're a coach, teacher, growth group leader, pastor. Um, many of you are spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to many in this faith family and other people. Uh, so your words are weighty, right? I mean, you have the capacity, you have the ability to lead people a direction based upon what you say. That's what he's saying here. Words are powerful. Words are weighty. And then, and then he, he gives this, uh, this analogy here uh, in verse 2, this, this saying, we all stumble in many ways. He's talking about verbally. 
Uh, none of us nail this, right? And he, he said, if you did, you'd be a perfect man. The reason you'd be a perfect man is because what you say reveals what's in your heart. He's going to get to later. So uh, that would mean you have a perfect heart. But none of us have a perfect heart, so none of us speak perfectly. There's only one man who walked and said every word perfectly. That's Jesus Christ, the brother of James, right? So he said, well, my brother did it perfectly, but we don't. We all stumble in many ways. Right? Otherwise, you'd be a perfect man. Otherwise, you'd have a perfect heart. Your motives would always be pure. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, and he, he's showing us here that, that we're all going to need help in this. And Jesus is the only one who ever said every word perfectly, and we're not Jesus. And I know there are lots of people in this room who regret things they've said, uh, regret ways they've acted foolishly and flippantly with their mouth. I sure have. Uh, so I think this is a place he's getting us we're in good company. But here's what he's, he's showing you here in verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. That's, a, that's illustrative of the heart, which he's going to get to, right? This, that's the seed of your emotions. That's the wellspring of life. That's where everything comes from, right? I mean, Jesus repeatedly in his Gospels, it's so interesting if you read his Gospels, how often he just goes to the heart of everything. The issue is your heart. 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 And he keeps moving you there to where you can see all this stuff that's coming out really has nothing to do with you trying to tweak behavior in your mouth or tame your tongue, but more change your heart. All right, and here's uh, what he's going to show is the taming the tongue takes us right to the epicenter of all that's wrong with us, namely our hearts. And look, he illustrates the danger of this. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a really small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Okay, so James uses this illustration. He says, man, you've got this massive animal, a horse, okay? It stood next to a horse that's full grown, especially those ones in New York City that, that pull the carriages. They're, they're massive animals. You put a bit in their mouth, grab them by the reins. You can, they were out of control. Now they're in control. Uh, you got these ships, these large ships. Study just um, battles over the sea historically, and they would always shoot torpedoes at the rudder because the little rudder, even though it was hardest to hit, could take down the whole ship. That massive ship is steered by that little rudder. It's amazing how small things have such great impact. That's what he's saying. How little things have such great effect. He's saying it's amazing how this little piece of flesh in your mouth, like, that it can do that, it can cause devastation, it can cause harm. He goes, it's even like a, a little spark at a forest, it sets a forest fire on. Because most of us go, oh, it was just a little comment. Oh, it was just a little, little statement about somebody. And he's going, no, that little, yeah, that little spark sets a whole fire ablaze in the forest. You think it wasn't a big deal, but that spark is what creates amazing devastation. Amazing ache in image bearers of God. Amazing pain. He says, the same way you can make a comment to a coworker, brother or sister in Christ, your spouse, your kids, kids to parents, teacher to student, student to teacher. You, you can make flippant comments. You can use your mouth. You use this little piece of flesh, and it can cause amazing, wicked, vile happenings. It can damage the body of Christ. He's basically saying, do you realize how powerful your words are? Like, I mean, have you ever, have you ever like, just thought about that? I mean, any one of you could come up to me at any time and say something to me that would ruin me. <laughs> you, have that, you have that kind of authority and power. I mean, some of you do it. It's great. 
right? So, I mean, you have that ability to just say, and at the same time, you have the ability to say anything to me that would make my day, that would encourage me, right? And that, that goes for us in this room with each other, right? You have, you have the ability to just ruin someone or give life. That's why Proverbs 18 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. You literally have the ability to lead someone towards life or lead someone towards death, literally and figuratively, um, I remember even when I was in middle school, I said something to this girl, and I thought it was just kind of an offhanded joke, and found out later she was in the hospital for a medical condition, thinking she was overweight because of something I said. Do you think that didn't destroy me? Me going, wait a second, that, that, man, I was just kind of joking. I was kidding. I, our words are powerful. God has given us our mouths to steward them, to give life, not to tear down, to encourage, not to defame. Um, he's reminding us, do you, do you see how powerful this is? I mean, I bet some of you, um, there was something someone said to you five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe a week ago, and even though you knew, you replay it in your mind, you're going, there wasn't one bit of truth about what that person said, but man, you know it, and yet it still bugs you, and it keeps you up at night, and you're going, man, why did he say that? Why did she say that? Well, you, you, you can recall those things. And, and he's saying that, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying God's gifted you. God has given you arms, legs, ears, eyes, nose, mouths, and a tongue to be used for my glory and not to defame those made in my image, which he'll show us. So James knows some of us are going to go, well, little comments don't matter. Apparently in this community of faith, that was an issue. And he's going, no, this is actually a really serious issue. This could destroy the church or build up the church. See, both examples, all three of these examples emphatically illustrate the power of speech. Um, and if controlled the right way, they can be effective and wonderful. And if controlled wrongly, it can be disastrous. Look at what he says in verse 6. This blew my mind. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire entire courses of life, and set on fire by hell. How you like that from James? I mean, he's going, listen, there are times where your mouth is actually being used by Satan himself. You're actually being, being led by hell itself. Now, some of you guys are like, well, I'm Christians. I'm not, I'm not going to hell. Well, yeah, you can unleash hell on people with your words. You can literally boil people alive with your words. That's the imagery here. This is powerful. That Satan himself can influence what we have to say. And at any time we use this mouth to tear someone down, not bring glory to God, who's using it? Apparently hell. Use this mouth to, to say something unbiblical. That's why, man, when I get up to teach, I'm like, Lord, i got to say things that are biblical and true. Otherwise, otherwise, who's controlling that? Not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit isn't controlling my mouth. Someone else is. If I say something, that even see, here's the thing, even unintentionally. See, he, he gives room here for you to understand this isn't just the intentional things. It's also those who are unintentional. Now, here's the reality, right? There are some of us that go, well, well it wasn't intentional. I didn't mean to do that. Do you, do you remember back when, when Jesus was with Peter and, and he talks about how he's going he's gonna to die? And what does Peter do? Peter comes and goes, no way, not you, Jesus. You're never going to die. And then what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. That's Peter. Why? Because he's going, you're not talking with the thoughts of God right now. Someone else is controlling your mouth. You're, you're saying things that aren't true, aren't biblical, aren't right. Satan's using your mouth right now. See, it's not even just times that we're intentional. It's even ways when we're unintentional. And he's saying it, it can be set on fire by hell itself. Because a lot of times, how many times have we said, well, 
man, I was just saying how I felt. I, I don't know. And then, then we use the excuse that, oh, well, they're not Christians. Well, I love that James doesn't leave excuse for you in that way because when he, when he appeals here, you're going to see this. He's going to talk about us being made in the image and likeness of God. But before we get there, James is also grabbing a theme that he saw his older brother Jesus use, and that's Gehenna. This is the same word here. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. He talked about it over 11 times, I think, in the New Testament when he was alive. And it was basically this place that they all understood, they all knew. Uh, it was this place of just godless people doing godless things, child sacrifice, illicit sexual sin. I mean, it was, got so bad, they would just, it would be a dumping ground for bodies. They'd light it on fire. The stench would fill the air. It would never stop being inflamed. And he would use that as reference to hell itself. And here, he's using that illustration here. And James is saying, this is so, so serious. You know Gehenna? You know the stench? You know how vile that is? Um, You guys can set one another on fire with Gehenna itself. And boil people alive with your words. That's how serious our tongue is. That's how serious our speech is. That's weighty from James. That's, that's serious here. And he goes, we all stumble in many, many ways. So some of you have been set on fire by someone's words. And others, you, others of you have set other people on fire by your words. And, and here's the danger. Um, if we're honest, we're much more aware how we've been set on fire by words than the ways we've set others on fire by our words. Can we just be real for a minute? I mean, that's, if you're in this room right now, all you're thinking about is, oh, man, yeah, that, I hope that person's listening. I hope you know, Jack's listening. I hope that person's listening. I hope Mike Reed's listening to his own sermon. Right? You're, you're thinking those things, and you're like, man, someone else. That's, that's what you're thinking about. And we're rarely placed in our, in our hearts in a place where we're the person who's doing the damage. Right? It's, this is how it always works out in Christianity is we hear sermons, we hear texts, and that's why I'm always saying at the end of sermons, before you go anywhere, before you ever go horizontally, go vertically, man. You, you have got to deal with yourself before the Lord. Like, you've got to deal with how he sees you, how he's grieved, how we've defamed his name and belittled his name with the ways that we've acted before we go horizontally accusing everybody else. Because the issue is this church was great till you got here. And I got here, right? We all say, oh, church was great, man. It's terrible. No, it's because you're here. It's because I'm here. Like, we're the issue. We're the problem. The Bible will constantly say that we are the problem. And until we realize that we're the issue, we'll never get anywhere. We'll never get anywhere in the faith family. We'll never get anywhere in the gospel. We'll never get anywhere as a people together. Until we realize, man, i gotta, I got to examine my heart. i got to take some honest stock of my soul right now. Instead of constantly looking over the fence at this other person who I feel offended by, even though it's true and often justifiable, be slow to move there before you examine your heart rightly first. And that's what James is saying. He's laying out excuses and dismantling them so you can get to your own heart first. Some of you in ministries, you talk about people in your own ministry. Instead of talking to them, you talk about them in your growth groups, among saints about your elders, about members. He's saying this is serious. The way we speak about it is serious. And then look, he illustrates this in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Um, Isn't it interesting that we can tame anything? 
Like just as, as, as humanity, right? I mean, we, we tame elephants, we tame, you know, sea creatures, we tame bears, we tame lions, we tame, but you can't tame this little piece of flesh in your mouth? I mean, anyone ever been to SeaWorld? I mean, I remember we used to take Disney as our, as our family trip every year, and I loved SeaWorld because Shamu was just unreal to me. I mean, growing up with all my siblings, and we would just watch Shamu and watch these amazing killer whales that were huge, yet they were tamed, and they could feed them, and they could, you know, fly up on their nose, a little tiny woman or man, right, going up on their nose. I, I always used to think to myself, that is so insane that they could be tamed. Who's the first person who said, I could, I could tame that killer whale? Yeah, I could stand on their nose and fly up. All I still could do is go, Ah, right, and you're just, you're gone, right? He swallows you whole. I mean, who was the first person that I could tame that line, just cozy up next to it and lean against it, even though his, his mouth could devour, devour half my body. He's an alpha male predator. I mean, who was the first person to think I can tame that? He goes, in the same way we think, man, we can tame this piece of flesh. And he goes, no, you can't. No, you can't. It's filled with deadly poison. People have tried it for centuries. Wars are fought over what this does. He says, no one has the ability to do this or tame this. You don't realize how devastating it is. And James says, here's why in verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. Wow. See, you can't separate your relationship with God with others. Like, like I, can't, I can't speak worship. I can't come in here and speak praise to God and then speak slanderously about Pastor Mike McKinney. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? Because he's made the image and likeness of God. He has the, he's, a, he's a Christian who has the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? He's an extension of the body of Jesus Christ. So, so for me to think that I could speak slanderously about him and then praise God is an oxymoron. To say, I love Jesus, hate his church. It's an oxymoron. You're a walking oxymoron. Like, that doesn't make sense. You can't say that. You can't separate yourself when you're an extension of the very thing that bought you and saved you and made you new. And he's showing this here. He's showing the weight of this here that, man, this is, wow, I need to be careful with what I say about others and how I speak about others and how I speak to others because they're made in the image and likeness of God. I mean, many are a little extension of the body of Christ. And, and the ways that I speak about them would be harming Jesus himself. would be speaking against Jesus Christ himself. i got to be so watchful of this. And I love it that he, again, doesn't excuse this idea of, of if they're not a Christian. Some of you guys are going, oh, well, they hate God, so I can say whatever I want. No, he goes back to Genesis 1. That's where he's appealing from here, where all are made in the image and likeness of God. Everyone in this room is infinite in value and dignity and worth. So the way you speak about them, you better watch your mouth. Whether they're a Christian or not. Whether their skin color is the same or not. Whether their socioeconomic status is the same or not. You better be careful how you speak about them, how you think about them, what you say about them. Because they're made in the image and likeness of God, he says. We pray for them. We love them. But the silliness, I mean, on social media... On Facebook, Twitter, I mean, is more often, in my opinion, driven by hell and not by heaven. Right? I mean, mouthpieces of Satan. Just look at it. Just turn your computer on. Turn your phone on. 
most of it's driven by that. So my question, I mean, something practically we could say is, man, when you, when you look to open your mouth, are you looking to critique or encourage? I hope it's the latter first. Are you someone who walks around and just can't wait to dish out things? You're always looking for ways to tear down. You're always looking for ways to find holes. You're always looking for ways to say something that could, that could harm someone's reputation or dismantle how they're viewed or seen. What, what's your gut reaction? Um, I heard one, one person say one time a great, a great uh, question is, when you talk about others, do you talk about their best day or their worst day? I thought that was so helpful. Right, because we all know people where, man, they're, they're approaching you like, oh, man, here she's coming to talk to me. Oh, what I do now, right? You're just waiting for them to just critique you. And, but, 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 man, do you talk about, when you, hear, when you talk about someone, do you talk about the ways you see them failing or the ways that they're sinning? Or do you first think to talk about, man, here's where I see just amazing faith in you. Here, here's where I see you really loving people well. Man, here's where, where I see just your, your love for the church. Or here's where I see you really caring and being sacrificial and serving and you open up your home a lot you're hospitable i mean what what's natural out of your mouth i mean here's how you lead the team here's how you do this what are ways you speak about those around you and how you speak to other people is it their best day or their worst day oh she did this again oh he did this again oh watch our words watch what we say james is saying You've got to understand, if you're a Christian, this body and all that comes with it is his. You were bought, right? Eyes, ears, nose, mouth, heart, mind, everything. I mean, you were bought with a price. Infinite price of Jesus Christ himself slaughtered for you on, on, on your behalf, right? Wrath absorbed for you in your stead. He was your substitute in your place. And he, when you cursed him, did not curse you back. He blessed you with his son. I mean, this is, this is tremendous in the gospel, what he does, right? How he, how he reevaluates us, how he reorients us as we think to say things and speak certain ways. And so he's basically showing you here that it's this idea that, that our mouths are a gift to steward. I mean, think about this. Let's say that um, uh, one of you decided to bring your toothbrush in this morning, right? And you thought uh, you just brush your teeth, and that's great if you want to do that. I used to know a pastor in my old church who would brush during the whole day and floss in the bathroom. Weirdest thing, but, but he loved it. So he would do that. And let's say you you brought it in and I said hey can I borrow that for a week and I took your toothbrush my grandma's in town a couple siblings are in town they're going to use it they all use it they brush with it right all week long oh he's got a neighbor he needs it he starts brushing with it then I come back to you next Sunday I'm like oh here you go here's your toothbrush like, that's disgusting right I mean none of you guys would use it right none of you guys would actually want to even touch your toothbrush I mean in the same way here's the thing God says, your mouth is mine, right? He says, hey, that mouth's for me. It's for praise. It's for glorification. It's for building up, right? Ephesians will say, hey, let it be profitable. Things going to come out of your mouth. Let it be something instructive. Let it be something that builds up the listener, right? Doesn't tear them down. So, so he says, hey, it's like we go, hey, God, I want my mouth for a little bit. Let me just slander someone. Let me say some little statement. Let me talk about them to somebody else. Let me just do something just slowly. And then, oh, here, you can have your mouth back. And God's going, you can't do that. That's disgusting, that's, that's heinous. That's, so, that's evil. I mean, how in the world could you do that when you praise me on Sunday and then walk out these rooms, sometimes in, within these walls, and speak those ways about others? He's saying this shouldn't be so. That, that doesn't make sense. That's not a visible representation of the body of Christ to the world. He says you can't use your mouth for blessing and cursing. 
James is saying a great test of the work of Jesus Christ in you is by what comes out of your mouth. A great test about how the gospel has actually transformed you is based upon how you speak about others, to others, for others, and how you praise his name and choose not to praise his name. He says that's a, that's an, that's a test. That's a gauge on your personal holiness. How your walk with Jesus is. What's the first thing you attempt to do? What's springing forth? Now look, I'm not saying there's not places for legitimate critique. I'm not saying there's not a place for loving hard words. I mean, the scriptures will say in Proverbs, right, that hard words that wound a friend are a gift from God. There are times where absolutely we need to step in and say something that's geared by and driven by love because we can't take to see a brother or sister heading down a path towards destruction. I'm not saying that we don't warn. I'm not saying that we don't speak truth in love. I'm not saying we don't do those things. But, but my guess is if you're a human, right, and you're like me, your bent is first to not do that. Your bent is first to tear it down. Your bent is first because you're sinful and your heart's wicked to want to say something and one-up somebody because you're not rooted in your identity in Christ. You're rooted in something else. And every time you're dethroned from that, you get angry, bitter, jealous, covetous. And that's why the words fly out. So when you talk about others, it's rarely maybe for encouragement or life. And so how do we speak about them? Listen, if, if you're, here's a good gauge. If you're more often speaking about people's worst day, you're likely self-righteous, bitter, and angry. And, and here's why he's going to show us in verse 9 or verse 11. Does a spring, he gives you the solution. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He goes, well, boys, you've got to get to the source. So many of you guys are just trying to watch your mouth, tame your tongue. You're not getting to the source. He goes, man, if you come across a fresh spring, fresh water spring, what comes out? Fresh water. He goes, a fig tree, what's going to be produced there? Figs, not olives or grapes. See, it's never simply about changing your behavior. Listen, some of you guys, you've, you've listened to sermons your entire life and you've left going, man, okay, I've got to modify that. Okay, and, and I'm telling you, he consistently will lay before you. That's the wrong way to approach it. you got to approach it as my heart is wrong, my heart is ill, my heart is sick, my heart is depraved, my heart cannot rectify itself. I need something outside of myself to come in and sit on the throne of my heart now to dethrone the other identities that, that cause me bitterness, cause me jealousy, cause me covetousness, cause me anger, cause me bitterness, and I need a new thing to sit on the throne of my heart so I can never be dethroned. Because if you never can be dethroned, then you're never going to have an issue with your mouth. And he shows you here that you've got to get to the heart. This isn't about biting your tongue but needing a new heart. And the Bible will say repeatedly that the heart is the source. The heart is the seat of your emotions. It's the, the epicenter. It's uh, out of the heart the mouth speaks. It's out of the overflow of the heart, heart in Proverbs. right? It's the wellspring of life, the Bible calls it. Same imagery we see here in James 3, verse 11 here. It's, it's not just our physical organ. It's your spiritual center. It's mentioned over 900 times in the Bible. So he's saying here it's, it's who we are. It's the wellspring of life. So don't simply watch your speech get to the heart of your speech. Jesus says this in Mark 7. He says this on the screen. 
For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. He's saying, no, this is what I love about the Bible. Um, you want to know the state of your heart? Just, just listen to your mouth. <laughs> like, like those people are like, oh, well, no, I just blew off the handle just one time. It was just random. I didn't get enough sleep. No, you're angry. Your heart's angry. Your mouth just told you that. You, you don't have to worry about wondering what your heart is like. Just listen to how you speak, the posture, the tone. Wow. That reveals what's actually going on down here in your heart. And Jesus shows this. And, and here is why. The most striking thing to me in the Gospels is how much attention Jesus gives to the human heart. And James is following suit with his older brother going, yeah, you need to pay attention to your heart too. Not just giving lip service, but paying attention. That's why he says all the time to the religious Pharisees, hey, yeah, your lips are great in what they say, but your heart is so far from me. I mean, he's, he's showing us here, he shows in the Gospels, like out of this text, compliance with the law and religious observance mean nothing if your heart's motives aren't set on God and only self-congratulation. So if your heart is set on self-congratulation, if your heart is set on identity outside of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, your heart is going to constantly well up in things to get after people because you think you deserve something that you haven't been given. You think they wronged you in a way that you've never wronged anyone, even though you belittled the name of God himself, defamed his name, and he blessed you instead of cursed you. We believe lies. We need to be reoriented. And here he shows us, again, that sin is not behavior. It's just a state of the heart that leads to behavior. It's just what's in your spring. What's on your tree? What's the root? What's been planted? Because that'll reveal what comes out. And this is why, guys, the good news of the gospel always is transformation, not into just better creations, but new creations. It's the good news. You're free from identity. So let me just, let me just lead through some of these um, examples. Maybe you don't think you have a covetous heart, um, but in your speech... And to the things that you say, you wish you had their life, you wish you had their job, you wish you had their vocation, you wish you had their house, you wish you had their relationships. So you say things about them because you're not them, and you covet, and that's why you speak about them in that way. Maybe uh, you're someone who has a jealous heart. And so you constantly dish out your resume to everybody. Every time somebody has a conversation, you just got to tell them how you're a better Christian. You've done this better at church. You're a better mom. You're a better dad. You're a better teacher. You're a better. Just reveals that you're jealous. Your heart's jealous. Uh, maybe your speech is short and tight and sharp and condemning, um, maybe that means you're angry. The way you speak. I don't know where your heart is, but your words are telling you where it is. Your mouth is telling you where it is. It's revealing the state of your heart. And what's amazing is next week, James is going to go after them in their selfish ambition and envy. So it's almost like he's prepping them for next week. 
So he's throwing the right hook, then the left hook next week. Oh, you guys thought you were fine, but the selfish ambition and envy is coming from your heart. Now here's how Jesus, which is great, anchors us in something to where the speech changes. Not because we're trying to change our speech, but because our hearts, our hearts are being made new. So if you can anchor yourself consistently and readily in what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you're freely forgiven, freely loved, fully known, that he, he welcomes you into the kingdom with all your scars, all your stains, all your sickness, all that you are, right? You didn't have to perform. You didn't have to do. You didn't have to marry. You didn't have to work. He just said, I'm going to love you because I'm choosing to love you. This is back to James chapter 1, the initiating love of God. This is him saying, I brought you forth as a first fruit out of the word of truth. I took my first and best Jesus Christ. And as you as you cursed him, I blessed you. He says, if you can stay rooted there and anchored there, if that can be your worth, if that can be your weight, if that can be your identity, what's awesome is as you see that, your mouth begins to change because now your identity is not the Wall Street guy. Your identity is not the, the best mom or the best dad or the best coach or the best Christian in the church. That identity is gone, and now you have something rooted that can never be taken from you. But listen, those identities that you try to find yourself in that can always be taken from you will cause a very dangerous, polluted mouth. And so he's showing you that, man, you need to be at a place in your heart where you can never be dethroned. Only in Christ can you never be dethroned. The reason we, we spew venom at others is because you've been dethroned in some way in your life. And so that's why you speak that way, and the gospel alone allows you to sit on a throne that you didn't put yourself in, that he alone sits in for you, so that no matter what somebody says, no matter what other people have, you have the very thing no one can ever take from you. Identity as a son and daughter, everlasting forgiveness. You have you know, eternity coming. You have affection and love from him where he sees you as his son, regardless of your deeds and works and merits. You have something done to you so that now you can sit steady and steadfast, and now all you can do is rejoice with others. Man, now all you can do is, is be thrilled for others. Man, praise God you got that job. Man, thank you for leading this church. Thank you for the ways that you serve. Thank you for the ways that you love. Now, now you're free to give encouragement and bless and not curse because you're not sitting somewhere where your identity is constantly at stake. And I'm telling you, if you're sitting somewhere in your heart where your identity is constantly at stake, it's revealed in the ways that you speak. And that's what James is saying. This is powerful. This is profound. So you don't have to, it's not about going out and taming your tongue, watching your mouth. Man, you've got to change your heart. And the only thing that can change your heart is by you leaning into and seeing the love of God in Christ crucified for you. Nothing else will do it. It will for a season, but just like you go outside pulling weeds. Your yard looks great for two weeks, and then they're back. He says, man, I want to see this faith family operating in a way where the hearts are truly changed. Where we have an identity rooted in something where I'm being used by God in the measure that he would use me, no more, no less. So, man, if you're God's kid, like, like what he's doing with you, how he's using you, how he's gifted you is exactly how you should be. No more, no less. And if you're vying for something more or you're feeling like you don't have enough, he reminds you every single day as you gaze your eyes to Calvary. I finished it. I paid in full. Freely forgiven. Freely loved. Freely accepted. Man, sit with confidence in your identity in me and then you can never be dethroned. And so your mouth will never spew venom. It'll bless. It won't curse. How do you see yourself as a loved son or daughter of God? 
Because some of us I know this morning are going, man, but you don't know the ways they have hurt me with their words or literally or so I have a right to say these things about them. And, and the gospel says we don't because we blasphemed and cursed to the highest degree and we belittled a God of infinite perfections and he chose not to curse you and I. He chose to bless you and I. As he sat, Second Peter, 1 Peter 3, right? Reviled, he never reviled back. Threatened, never punished. Suffered, never scoffed back. He entrusted himself to the judge who judges justly. He was so secure in the Father's love. He was so steady there that he just entrusted himself there. I'm going to trust myself there. He judges justly. He has me. He's for me. Doesn't matter what humanity does. He modeled it for us. He showed us what that could look like. No one, listen, no one has ever had more evil spoken against them in human history than Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Like none of you can top him. No historical figure can top him. And what's amazing is Jesus is the only person who lived and never stumbled in any way. We all stumble, but he never stumbled. He never has to sit back even at the right hand of the Father and go, oh, man, my tone was off on that one day. You remember that? Where I got angry, where I was jealous, where I was covetous. He never has to say that. He never stumbled so that we who stumble regularly in our verbal attacks, realizing and, and, and basically showing forth the vile nature of our hearts so that he can make us new. So they give us a new place to sit where you're free, you're not enslaved. Where you can rejoice with others and encourage others and bless others and not curse others. The only one who went all the way to this, the cross to suffer and die for those who stumble. And what's amazing is while shameful, horrible, deplorable things were being said to him as he hung on the cross, he still gets the last word. Forgive him. Forgive him. Ask God to help us to have hearts like that. God, we need to enter a space where first to be honest about the ways that we speak, maybe not even out of our mouths, but in our minds. God, would you just forgive us for the ways that we as a people do not represent you rightly? God, would we have a time where we can confess honestly for the ways that we were unaware, maybe even of the ways that our words and our mouths are to be used as, as, a, as stewardship. And God, may we not feel con- condemned or convicted alone, but lead to change. Change that not comes from just modifying our mouths, but leaning deeper into the sovereign work of your Son on our behalf and the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord. And that's the only thing that could possibly transform a people, God. We long to be a people through the ways that we speak to one another and about one another and about the world and to the world are ways that honor your name. That we would bless you and praise your name while also not giving wrong cursings to others. Would you give us wisdom in this area, Father? And God, would you consistently show us that it's our hearts that need changing, not our mouths, not our hands, not our eyes. No matter what the behavior that's debilitating, Lord, it's the heart that's the issue. And God, would you transform hearts this morning? Will we see more of your work this morning? Will we consider more of the depth of our sin in light of your holiness? Would that sit heavier on our hearts so that it would produce a heart that flourishes and causes a mouth to edify and give life?
Help us to watch these things. But God, never try to be people that behave a certain way but are truly made new so that we can't help but give blessing and not cursing. God, help us to see Jesus, our Savior, our God, our glory, who who took every bit of our curses towards him and blessed us, who lived his entire life in perfect obedience, submission to the Father, with not one word out of place, so that we might be made into his likeness and have his voice, so that we might see others be made new. Oh God, we need the Holy Spirit to fall and do something that we cannot produce. Would you do that right now in people's hearts, in people's minds? Would you free us from our identities that are consistently betraying us? Would you free us from these places where we put so much stake and value and worth and affection on things that constantly dethrone us? Help us to sit confidently in you. In Jesus' name, amen.